So, Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Gospel of John, which he wrote to convince unbelieving people that you are indeed God the Son and can give eternal life. So we pray that you would guide us as we look at this uh, portion of John, chapter 8, verse 12 through chapter 9. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the quarterly, again, skipped a bunch, it skipped chapter 8, basically, which... Yeah, which is irritating. I'm going to hit some high points of chapter 8. So we'll just go through, and, uh, you know, chapter 8, 1 through 11 is the story of the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus didn't answer. They wanted him to condemn her, which the law of Moses did do. The law of Moses prescribed stoning to death for both the woman and the man caught in adultery. Of course, the man wasn't there. So Jesus didn't do anything but crouch down and write on the dirt. And you suspect, it's not written down, that he's writing down their sins. Because they all, he says, if you don't have sin, then you throw the first stone and they all leave. So then Jesus goes on to the light of the world discourse, that he is the light of the world. Chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the second of his I am statements the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the first I am statement was, I am the bread of life. Now he's the light of the world. So anyway, if you want to look at verse 15 of chapter 8, you judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. So in Jesus' first advent, he did not necessarily come to judge. You know, he didn't judge the woman and caught in adultery. He came to save. The, the mission of his first advent was salvation. So then verse 821, Jesus said, Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. He was speaking to the Pharisees here. Why could the Pharisees not go where he was going? How do you get where he is going? By believing in him, right? And they were not doing that. They were, they were teaching a works righteousness, which every single false religion teaches. Every single false religion. Only biblical Christianity teaches the true way, which is belief in Christ. Period. And to live, you submit to Christ. Period. So then verse... 20, 24, Jesus tells them the requirement to go where he is going. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. Okay, that's the one requirement to go to heaven. So chapter 8, verse 29, this, is, this should be our prayer every morning. Chapter 8, verse 29. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. See, we all have our own will. You know, Satan has his own will. He says, I will become like the Most High. And the training of the Christian is to do this. What are the things that please God? Lord, how can I please you today? That is the training of the Christian and then verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. And so they were saved. That is how you're saved. No works are mentioned. 
you're saved apart from works. Verse 36 of chapter 8. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. That's a good verse for the 4th of July. The Son makes you free, you will be free indeed, because we, um, we serve something. We always do. We either serve what we think is ourself as an unsaved person. If we do that, we are actually serving Satan. But the Son makes you free to serve God. You're not at war with God anymore. Then verse 42, again, Jesus speaking with the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. What does that mean? If you're sincerely seeking God, you will find Jesus. You know, if you're seeking God, and, you know, from nature or something like that, from your conscience, you will find Jesus. Uh, God will make sure you do. Then verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So you can tell when the devil's lying when his lips are moving, right? Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Works righteousness false teachers are aligned with the devil. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, where works righteousness false teachers. The Buddhists are aligned with the devil. Islam is aligned with the devil. Some in Christianity are aligned with the devil because some teacher works righteousness in Christianity. So uh, if you know, you're know you involved in any kind of works righteousness, you are aligned with the devil. And what it leads to is incredible intolerance and viciousness against people who are not towing the line to your standard and things like that, you know? And it causes uh, hate, right? which is equated with murder. And that's what they were doing to Jesus right here. That's what they were doing to Jesus. Jesus was not towing their line. And so they hated him. And so he equated them with the devil. And, you know, that's how it works. So then verse 46, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? Now notice that they couldn't speak up, because there is no sin, right? The one man with no sin is Jesus. He does not even have a sin nature, so he has no sin. He is holy, and uh, this is one place this teaches that, you know, in Hebrews, and I can't remember the exact address, it teaches that as well, that Jesus is totally sinless. He's our perfect sacrifice, then verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What death is he speaking of here? Lake of fire. Because, you know, we do die physically, but the minute we do, we're in the presence of the Lord, right? Which we're like, yay, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yay. So, um, 
and then we'll we'll be there just in bliss, uh, waiting for our new resurrected body. Then verse 58, this is the last one. Jesus said to to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. There's another I am statement. This one is unqualified. So when he says that, what does he mean? He is declaring his eternality. Yes, he is the uh, always existent one. He's God. Yeah, always existent, which blows your mind, doesn't it? Just think about it. Always existent. There's never a time when he was not. That does blow your mind. Okay, so um, now we're ready to start our lesson. Can I get somebody to read verses 1 through 12 of chapter 9? This is Jesus heals the blind man. He said, go to this certain pool and wash. He had to obey, and that, that reminds me of, reminds you of the, uh, the Syrian general that went to Elisha and asked for healing of his leprosy. And Elisha told him to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times, and he thought that was ridiculous, and he wouldn't do it. And his servant said, if he asked you to do something hard, you would have done that. Why don't you do it? So he did, and he was healed. So, yeah. How could a man who was born blind have sinned and caused his own blindness before he was born? Would that be a ridiculous question if his parents committed sin? Not as much, yeah. That is not a totally ridiculous question about his parents because Genesis 20, verse 5 says, You shall not worship idols or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Children are affected by their parents' sin, and it says right that in the Mosaic Law. And so the question question about the the man himself with being stricken at birth doesn't seem to make a lot of sense but for his parents you know there was some biblical reference to that so it's not totally crazy you know now in Ezekiel he teaches that the soul that sins will die and he goes to the point of saying He goes through three generations, you know. The first generation was sinful, he's going to die. The son was righteous, he's not going to die for the father's sins. And then his son is unrighteous again, and he will die. So, yeah, I think the way to, you know, if you are born into a sinful family, you have some obstacles that you wouldn't have otherwise. You will suffer for being born into a sinful family. Um, that you wouldn't if you were not. But Jesus responded here, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus denied that sin was the issue at all. Now the quarterly said something that I disagree with. It said, quarterly therefore said God had not inflicted the man with blindness. Well, if God didn't, who did? See, that's not what the biblical text says. So that's why, you know, anytime, my point is, anytime you read non-biblical literature, you got to be careful. Because sometimes they'll say things that are not true. 
like that. Um, yes, God caused him to be born blind. Was that because of his sin? No. It was so that this moment could be arranged. So verses 4 and 5 says, He... We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See, it's interesting what he's doing while he's saying he's the light of the world. He's giving a man with congenital blindness sight. While he's saying I'm the light of the world. So it fits. So what is Jesus saying here? We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Yeah, the whole purpose of Jesus being born is, what, to die. That was his whole purpose, to, you know, <clears throat> he was God, always existent. He is God, always existent. He didn't have to take on a human body, but he did, and the only reason he did was so that there would be a perfect sacrifice <clears throat> so that people could be saved. That is why he came, and while... And while he's leading up to that, he has to be very busy showing his identity so people would trust in him. And, uh, you know, he didn't waste time <laughs> messing around. He, he was working at it. And this was the sixth sign that John recorded uh, so that people would believe who this man was, Jesus Christ. So yeah, verse 7 is, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated since. So he went away, washed, and came back seeing. The sixth sign uh, recorded, uh, congenital blindness, which is uh, hard to treat. I've heard people say that, well, maybe this guy didn't have eyes. They weren't formed or something, you know. Which, I, no, it just says he was born blind. Um, people are trying to speculate on the mechanism, you know. I, I actually looked this up, you know, there's leucorrhea is uh, something where children are born with cataracts. Leucorrhea is white pupil, so their pupils are white when they're born. And cataracts, infections, congenital infections can cause it, and things like that, you know. But <clears throat> the brain is not trained either with congenital blindness to recognize image images. So um, it is a big deal to heal congenital blindness. And so the whole idea was to convince people who he was so they would trust in him and in his sacrifice. So let's go to the next section. The Pharisees interrogate the healed man. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Okay, so they're taking them to the religious experts. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh-oh. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him, 
that he had been blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. So they're getting witnesses. He said, maybe he's making this up. And questioned them, saying, is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Yeah, so they brought him to their religious leaders to evaluate the miracle. Yeah, they did investigate quite uh, rigorously, didn't they? They asked him, then they asked him again, then they called his parents. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a split in the Pharisees. Some saying, because he broke the Sabbath, he, he has to be a sinner. And another one's, other ones saying, well, if he's performing these works, how can he be a sinner? And that's, that was the feeling of Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus was, saw his works and said, you were from God. So he actually came to him under cover of darkness <laughs> to talk to him. Well, we know from Jesus' comments about them in Matthew 23 that they were hypocritical, that they imposed these rules on others but did not keep them themselves. And that is what uh, works righteousness always will do. Yeah, the Pharisees made a big deal about the Sabbath, and it is one of the Ten Commandments in the Decalogue. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is a day of rest. Period. What they had done is defined what rest was. Yeah, they defined it so much that you, could, you couldn't do anything. And I've heard that even in Israel today, the elevators are in such a way that on the Sabbath, so on Saturday, they will stop at every floor. Because pushing a button is a work that you don't want to do on the Sabbath. So they've, ta you know, they've taken it to extreme, extreme measures, even today in, uh, in Israel. <clears throat> so what, it, what is that? You know, the, the God, God does say rest on the Sabbath to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. It is to the Jews. The Sabbath is a sign of the Mosaic Covenant. And uh, it is legalism. Thank you, Kay. Yes, it is man-made laws added to God's word. And the reason they were so freaked out about this was the Babylonian captivity. The Pharisees were not in existence before the Babylonian captivity. They arose afterward, and they, you know, came into being so, because they did not want to go through something like that again. They were sent into captivity for failure not to keep the weekly Sabbath, but for failure to keep the Sabbath of years. Okay, this is Second Chronicles thirty-six twenty-one. It says, 
Those who had escaped from the sword, he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until seventy years were complete. Remember, the seventh year was a Sabbath for the land. That's the reason that they were sent to captivity, this uh, failure to let the land rest every seven years from the beginning of King Saul's reign, 490 years. So one-seventh of the 490 years would be 70 years, and that is the exact time they were in captivity, and the land had its rest for 70 years. That is why they freaked out, and so they added rules on so that the Sabbath wouldn't be broken. It was just a day off. Take a day off, you know. We have two Sabbaths <laughs> due to labor laws. In the United States, I wonder if we should, if it would be better to just have one day off. Verse 17, so they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since you opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. So his estimation of him is rising as they question him, right? His estimate, as you, as you see this, the man who is uh, healed, his estimation of Jesus gradually rises as he goes through this. Until in the end, he's worshiping him. And then they wanted more testimony, so they called the parents, verse 18. Verse 22, the parents were afraid. And that goes back to chapter 1, verse 11, where it says that Jesus went to his own, but his own would not receive him. Because the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So they'd already come to that conclusion. He is to be rejected. And... The majority of the Jews continue to reject Jesus today. And that is true of us too, right? Second Timothy 3.12 says, Anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. That is a promise to the believer if you're serious. It's not the nice one. There are a lot of nice promises Jesus gives to us. But he also promised that. You know, he said that the world would hate you because it hated me. And he promised it. So, you know, if that happens, don't be surprised. Let's go to section C. The healed man comforts the Pharisees, confronts the Pharisees. Sorry, he's not comforting them. So, yeah, verses 24 through 34 is a pretty intense confrontation between the man who is healed and the Pharisees. And they are, have ruled already that Jesus is a sinner. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. What would a better response to a miraculous or spiritual event be than what they were doing? When, when you see a miracle and there's a message associated with it. For example, there's miracles today. There's, there's visions of Mary around the world that happen. And she gives a message. How do you test that? Is that from God or not? Right. The Word of God. Acts 17.11. This is about the Bereans. Right? Now these are more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word of Paul with great eagerness. So they listened to him with an open mind, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So they were seeing if what Paul was saying would match up with their Old Testament. That's what they had. So, for example, in the, the case of this 
situation, the Pharisees could have looked to Isaiah 35, uh, the second half of verse 4 and verse 5, which says, The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. Hmm. And the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. So here Jesus is coming with a message that is consistent with the Old Testament prophecies of a coming kingdom. Even John was concerned. John the Baptist was concerned. And his disciples came to ask. And Jesus pointed to this very same scripture, actually. Very same scripture. So, yes, these Mary appearances, Mary encourages them to worship her and for all religions to join together. So the Mary, they're supernatural. These are supernatural events, these visions of Mary. And that's that little book that Dane put out. But the message does not line up with the Bible, so we know that it is demonic. The, because Satan can do miracles. And uh, so the way we tell is we examine the scriptures and see if the message aligns with previous revelation. So they could have done that, but they had already made up their mind. So verse 25, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. Okay? <laughs> so you don't have to know all the details about Jesus. So that, I mean, that is why little children can get saved by trusting in Jesus. You know, there's so much to know about Jesus, we can't know it all. But you can know enough. Anybody can know enough to be saved by trusting him. I don't think we should stay in that state of when we were saved. Because if we do, we can be picked off and, and sidetracked very easily. Uh, we should grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ over time. So we can't be picked off. So in verse 26, they just cannot accept his answer. They just keep asking him the same stuff over and over again until he comes back with a sarcastic response. In verse 27, he answered them, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And that made him mad. <laughs> that made him mad. So then verse 31, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Yes, the, the, the prayer of help me from God will be heard by, the, by him. Save me. Show me if you, you know, show me if you're true, that sort of thing. I think you will hear that from sinners. But First John 5, 14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, so if we are praying and we pray according to his will, he will, he will answer that prayer. And Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay, so if you're harboring a sin, that is unconfessed, and you refuse to give it up, your prayer life will be terrible. It will not work. So there, he's true about that. And then verse 34, they answered him, you were born entirely in sins. That was a true statement. But then so were they. We're, we're all born entirely in sins. 
because we all have a sin nature. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. The doctrine of depravity is true, and uh, it is true of the Pharisees, just as it was true of the other gentlemen. On to D. D is Jesus seeks out the healed man. So chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He's very respectful to Jesus. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Yeah, verse 35, Jesus had already given him physical sight. He wanted to give him more. Verse 37 is the second time in this book that Jesus declares that he is the Messiah, which people today say, he doesn't say in the Gospels, and I don't see why they say that. So this is the second time he said, I am he, I am the Messiah. And then verse 38, he worshipped Jesus, the, blind, the man who had been blind. And it says, Lord, I believe. So, And that is the requirement for salvation. So in that moment, he was saved. And notice that Jesus is a man. And he accepted worship here. If angels get worship, they say, no, don't do that. Okay. It's another indication of his deity because he accepts worship. And, you know, Satan and the demons accept worship too. And they want it. But his teaching aligns with previously given scripture. So he's the real deal. Verse 39 for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. And what that made me think of was that self-righteousness will quickly send you to hell. Self-righteousness will send you to hell, you know, um, because self-righteousness masks your need for salvation. You know, that's why Jesus said, you know, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going before you to the Pharisees because they knew their, they knew their need. 